0: Okay, I think we're ready, uh, Dawn. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think uh, good evening. Uh, Welcome to the committee's meeting. I'd like to welcome and call this meeting, uh, this 19th meeting of the Charter Review Committee to order. Um, Don, could you please uh, make the regular announcements, speaker slips, and so on for us?
1: Yes, sir. Um, please turn your pagers and cell phones to the silent position. If you'd like to speak before the committee, there are speaker slips in the back of the room, and you'll turn them into the assistant clerk's table. You have a, uh, three minutes for your presentation. This uh, meeting will be vid- is video streamed on the city's website, and we do have assisted listening devices or a cordless microphone should you need them.
0: Thank you, Don. I think at this point we're ready for a roll call on your determination as to whether we have a quorum.
1: Member Wisham. Here. Fuller. Here.
0: Hastings.
1: Here. Johnson. lafaso Murphy. Newland. Here. Tapio? Here. Taylor? Here. Thomas? Chair Edgar? I'm here. You have a quorum.
0: Thanks very much. Uh, just for the committee's information, uh, Alan LaFaso um, just had an appendix removed over the weekend, so he is recouping at his home. And maybe he's watching. Who knows? <coughs> In any event, um, I guess we're ready for staff comment. Mark.
2: Good evening, Chair Edgar and members of the committee. I wanted to acquaint you with some new materials that you've received tonight, the first being the meeting schedule. As you can see, we just have a couple of meetings to go. And today, staff, in looking at the City Council's calendar for 2010, realized that we have a conflict on Thursday, January 7th we're going to need to reschedule that meeting and at this point, uh, we don't have a specific date in mind but we are looking at January 5th, which is a Tuesday, January 6th, the Wednesday, or the following Monday, January 11th. So we will bring that issue and uh, checking the facilities, make sure that uh, we can bring you some options on the 14th at your next meeting. The second document is uh, some correspondence that was received from Chuck Repke That's this document here. It's a a lengthy document. In addition to that, we have received a position statement from the Sacramento County League of Women Voters. This is a one-page document and also a document from Simon Majeski, dated December 1 in which he comments on the activities of the San Diego Ethics Commission.
0: Okay. Is that it, Mark? That is. Okay. Um, okay, we're at uh, committee report out. we we did have a council city council presentation this week. Dr. Newland and I made the presentation on behalf of the committee. that is an agenda item and we'll talk about it at that time. Are there any other committee report outs? Okay, thank you. Let's move on to. Um, Members, I think we're on item one, approval of the minutes, uh, additions, modifications, corrections, deletions. If not, I'd like a motion and a second, please. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Minutes are approved. Okay. Correspondence, you've already completed, Mark
2: these were primarily simply comments on specific issues okay
0: all right we're on item uh, three at this point Uh, as i indicated dr newland and i made uh, our presentation and uh, cecily for your information he did an excellent job um, reporting on your minority report (laughs) so um, and of course on the report itself Um, i think the council um, was very appreciative and they um, uh, expressed their appreciation to the committee for their hard efforts. Uh, to be honest, I think the council has at this point moved on and are uh, thinking about uh, the election um, as, as opposed to our recommendations. Dr. Nula. Yes, I wanted to
3: comment on that. Uh, there was... Sure. I Me mean, that the sound of music was being played as the theme that night. They were saying so long farewell Auf saying Goodbye And then I could hear that ricocheting around the room with Idle voice pedals and the short, They were thanking us and saying we've had enough It's time to move on I will add one other comment though, Cicely I particularly found exceedingly helpful one of your last paragraphs where you recommended that wisdom might best be found in eliminating the part-time full time wording entirely and I noted to the council that uh, I strongly agreed with that and that I really think that that's what the majority recommendation amounts to so I sure am glad you put that in
0: I, I think so. We've had some correspondence on on that issue too, and I still think uh, folks are uh, focused on this whole idea of um, hours wage, kind of a thinking about the council positions. And I think somehow we we need to get across is that the council that the committee's recommendation is that. Council members need to carry out their full-time responsibilities uh, with such time necessary to do those duties. And it, it doesn't amount to a certain amount of hours uh, for each person. It amounts to the necessary time it takes to express those duties and <clears throat> to carry out those duties. And uh, The arbitrator or the judgment is at each election. Uh, That's when the voters are going to decide whether you've been doing it in a way that they feel is appropriate. And so I think our recommendation is on point, and that is um, that there should not be any, that the full-time, part-time issue ought to be removed. And that there ought not to be any restrictions on uh, other income because that does bring uh, different value, different uh, um, benefits to the uh, city itself. In any event, um, <clears throat> somehow we've, we've got to get that made a little clearer because I don't think it is at this point. Miss Hastings.
1: I just watched the council meeting about an hour ago, um, and maybe I watched the version without the sound of music because (laughs) I picked up a whole different uh, sound on what they were thinking than you do, with all due respect, okay? Um, Councilman Fong said that he doesn't want to disband us prematurely. There are many issues and others here at stake was the word he used. Um, Councilman Pinnell said we need a committee to work further in depth on something possibly for the 2012 ballot. Um, Councilman Waters said we want to continue the work of the committee, maybe even taking a time out until June, but there are a lot of issues here at stake that need to be reviewed. So, uh, and Councilman McCarty said making decisions in pieces isn't fair to the whole process, and he wondered why we were coming back sort of with installments. And he said it was like uh, watching a a movie a third of the way through and then writing a review. So um, I know Councilman Cohen and Councilman Sheedy both commented that the the full-time status was something that they didn't believe should be pursued at all at this time, inappropriate time for that. Councilman Cohen wondered whether it was appropriate at any time to discuss it. So um, I just got a different take from that and
0: uh well i think you had to be there because it it it, the flavor was uh exactly as dr nolan said they were moving on to other things i i there's no question in my mind about that joanne maybe you have something to add i was
4: going to speak on something else and i i'll pass
0: okay all right uh anything more on that subject okay Uh, let's move on to um, the number four which is the current uh, ethics efforts and training that the city does Uh, and I think uh, as we look at items four and five uh, there are two issues here one is is what we've learned as the of internal ethics programs that are being conducted within the city. And we're going to get some briefing on that tonight. And then it, in some of the testimony we received relates to um, the, the position of the ethic, uh, ethics officer in administering those programs in, in some cities that we've uh, investigated. <coughs> and. The second issue is the issue of the Ethics Commission itself and whether or not that's justified and we should proceed. So as we think about this, let's think about uh, what's being done internally at the city and whether there needs to be improvement there. And then, in addition to that, whether there's the role for an Ethics Commission, because I think they're kind of two different issues. Matt, you're going to take this uh, report? i number four now.
5: So I'd like to believe. <clears throat> I'll just come up here because it's a little change of scenery. Um, the, I want to uh, give credit where credit is due. Um, with item four, there has been a stack of materials presented to the committee, and that was put together by the city clerk's office. Um was kind enough to put those together um, with the caveat that I would talk about them, I guess. But and I don't. I'm not. My intent here is not to go over in detail the substance of any of the particular issues addressed in here, but kind of give you the flavor of the internal um, workings of the city with respect to ethics training. That is what goes on. First and foremost, that you'll see in page one of your materials, uh, the city clerk put together this page one and two, which kind of lays out in in big picture. Some of the issues and documents that are um, presented to officials of the city in their ethics training and the forms that they're required to fill out in order to maintain ethical standards within the city. So, page one and two give you a, a, a basic overview. The most important one, in some respect, is what's listed as number one AB 1234 ethics training, and we'll get that into that a little bit more in a minute. And that's required by state law. State law now requires that um, elected and appointed officials get two hours, minimum two hours of ethics training every other year. And there are certain requirements in that training. I'll get to that in a minute. And so that was – that is uh, statewide, obviously, and everyone has to undergo that. And here, the last time it was done for the city council here was back in uh, I believe it was may potentially may two thousand and eight um, right here in chambers it 's done during a uh, session of the council and you know it 's just like a regular open meeting, and anyone can sit in and and learn the same things that the elected officials learned during that training um, the next you 'll see is the statement of economic interest form seven hundred and as, as I discussed, I believe at our last meeting, this is required by the political reform act where Officials have to disclose um, certain economic interests they, they have income, gifts, um, real property interests, business interests. And the purpose of this is for uh, uh, government officials to understand the potential conflicts that may arise during the execution of their duties. It is basically an awareness tool. It is to let the officials um, make themselves aware and keep in the back of their mind, those financial interests that they have which may come into play um, uh, during their time as uh, decision makers and so that they don't act upon something in which they have, uh, on which they have a financial interest. Three is campaign disclosure statement filings. And again, that's, that is something that um, the city has. Uh, this, this is a political reform act, again, under the Government Code's requirement for um, candidates to file campaign disclosure statements. And and I believe the clerk has provided some information at the back of your packet, which the city clerk provides um, as a service to those who may be interested or who are in the political arena for what they need to do in order to comply with campaign financing and campaign disclosures. Uh, You'll see number four is a gift to agency report form. It's about, you know, the receipt of gifts to the city. The city recently passed um, a tickets and passes policy, which the clerk has again provided in your packet here. And this was a requirement because of the Fair Political Practices Commission instituted uh, this policy whereby all local agencies were required to adopt a ticket and passes policy, so that local officials weren't receiving, um, you know, free tickets to the Kings games, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the potential quid pro quo that goes with receiving those tickets. So the reporting of tickets presented to elected officials now must be reported on forms, or generally, I think a lot of people have gone the route of just refusing to accept tickets. I think actually it has had the at least initially the intended effect. Um, there were several instances in Southern California, most notably with, um, uh, in Pasadena, where council members were getting tickets to the Rose Bowl, which were worth hundreds if not thousands of dollars, and they were um, taking advantage of that situation as council members um, because they were getting these free passes and, and giving them to their friends or selling them. But anyway, so it has had some effect. I do believe it actually has reduced the number of um, tickets and passes that uh, officials receive. There's another form that's presented in here that's listed as number six, behested payment reform. I don't think that's worth talking about too much, except that payments made at the behest of an elected official are considered a gift to that official and have to be reported. Number seven, the lobbyist registration and reporting. As you note, uh, the city clerk has cited to City Code Section 2. I'm sorry, that's um, Chapter 2.15, which the city requires for lobbyists, that is, any person who comes to represent another person um, and represent their interest before the council or the city, to register with the city, identify yourself, identify the uh, organization or person whom you're representing, and the clerk keeps an updated Um, quarterly, I believe, registration of lobbyists. If you look in your packet towards the back, you will see that. And you can see there's a a list of numerous persons on this list. And you can for – this is for public consumption. These are the persons who come and speak on behalf of other organizations. City Code chapters 2.13 and 2.14 deal with campaign contribution limits and campaign finance. Um, the limits on individual amounts that may be given to uh, candidates for city office and the amounts that may be spent um, if candidates want to receive matching funds, etc. There's another um, item I'd like to add on here, which is a number nine, which we discussed at the last meeting, I believe, which is the city's own conflict of interest um, ordinance, which is Chapter 2.16 of the City Code, which generally prohibits employees and officials from participating in any um, contract in which they may have a financial interest or otherwise have some financial interest which is uh, in conflict with their city duties. It also provides in that chapter um, what we had described before, which was the revolving door, former city employees cannot come back and um, represent another party on a matter over which they had some kind of power during their employment with the city um, for one year Uh, actually a tenth item i just realized that would should be on there or could be on there is and this is actually goes back to the form 700 one of the things the city council does every year and they'll do it again shortly in the new year is to adopt a conflict of interest code by resolution. The city did it last year on February 17th and essentially it sets forth the parameters for the Form 700 filing. It identifies the employees who have decision making authority and who therefore must um, make Form 700 disclosures of their financial interests. So that's the basic overview. I I suggest just for your entertainment perhaps, uh, after you leave here, you can look at the thick packet which is presented next. And this is the AB 1234 training that was presented uh, in 2008. In fact, it was April 2008. I stand corrected. And you can see what this is. It was a PowerPoint presentation here in Chambers to the council members which basically runs through the big picture items that elected officials really need to be made aware of. And you can see at the very beginning the outline, Pages 3 and 4, this gives you the idea of what the elected officials and those who appear at that training learn about, the, the biggies. Um, as you can see, the conflict of interest uh, in, in Section 3, they're told about uh, financial conflicts of interest under the Political Reform Act as well as the City Code. Obviously, there's the issue of bribery well that's you know a pretty serious subject. They learn about that. They learn about um, what's known as 1090 issues entering into contracts in which a council member has a financial interest, which has potential criminal consequences. Um, uh, contributions and conflicts of interest, that is contributions from uh, essentially political um, cash contributions or in-kind contributions to elected officials, which may raise concerns about their decision-making processes. Um, Again, in Section E, they learn about what I had just described about essentially the uh, leaving office, the revolving door, not being able to come back and lobby on behalf of uh, an entity before the council. They learn about you know the restrictions that are placed on public officers and the duties uh, in effectuating their duties. What are the limits of gifts? The fact that elected official, local elected officials, are not authorized to receive honoraria. They cannot be paid to go speak at the local, um, you know, convention. They can't misuse public funds. Obviously, you would think that's a no-brainer, of course, and, and it and it should be. The restrictions on gifts of public funds. Um, you the city council member can't just decide to write a check to someone who walks down the street for the fun of it. There there are certain restrictions on use of public funds. Um, There's an an odd one here. This is actually a very specific restriction on uh, you can't accept free or discounted transportation from transportation companies. Um, There's a mass mailing rule. You cannot use public funds to do what's known as mass mailing. You cannot send out – there's intricacies to this, but essentially you cannot use public funds to send out a uh, a stack of documents unsolicited to the community that says Council Member X would like you to come meet her at the community meeting where Council Member X will tell you all about all the great things that Council Member X is doing. Look at her smiling picture down here in the corner. Um, There's intricacies to that. There's – it has to be 200 or more of those. It has to be in a material form. It has to have one or more. It has to have more than one um, uh, statement of the council member's name, or include a picture. I mean, so there's a there's a maze of considerations there. But essentially, it's saying don't use public funds to effectively campaign on your own behalf while you're in office. Then, of course, there's the government transparency laws, ones with which most of us are very familiar. The Brown Act, making sure that government decisions are made in the public eye. And the Public Records Act, which says that the public's business is open to scrutiny and the documents that the government uses to effectuate its purposes um, can be reviewed by the public with certain limited exceptions. Then um, the last one you see here is laws related to fair processes and unbiased decision making. Um, we talked a little bit about this before, the doctrine of incompatibility of offices. Generally, um, two office, uh, a council member can't hold uh, uh, a seat, for example. You couldn't have a council member also sitting as a county supervisor. Those would be incompatible offices or uh, another office in another, uh, a neighboring jurisdiction. That would be an incompatible office. Um, And the common law doctrine against conflict of interest. In addition to the statutory prohibitions I've talked about before, there is a common law prohibition on conflict of interest, which includes essentially the idea that you can't have a a conflict, a personal conflict with the situation that is presented to you. You can't have a personal bias. Um, For example, your neighbor is building a 10-story condo next to your small bungalow, and he's coming before and wants a variance um, because it's going to be great and it blocks your view of the river. And so the question is whether or not you would be a fair decision maker in that situation and whether or not you could uh, remove your own personal beliefs and, and, and come to a decision based only upon the information that's placed before you and not any personal gain that you may achieve through that decision. And then finally you can see competitive bidding. One of the other things uh, that keeps uh, government working to avoid uh, favoritism to either um, companies or those familiar to elected officials is the competitive bidding process. The city charter currently has the requirement that public works, public works projects, and supplies contracts be subject to competitive bidding subject to ordinances passed by the City Council. And in fact, the Council has passed several ordinances which deal with contracting and when competitive bidding is required. Generally, those provide that um, when when the city contracts over a certain amount that the lowest responsible bidder will be the party to get the contract. And that prevents favoritism. um, in the contracting process. So you can see what happens in the pages that follow. There are many examples. Um, The officials are led through these items. They give hypotheticals. Sometimes it's jazzed up. I can't remember if last time there was some play acting of the characters to liven up the presentation a little bit. And this is something that goes on and will go on every two years. In addition to that, obviously, there is the availability of individuals to ask questions of the city clerk. I know the city clerk gets – city clerk's office gets questions often about filings. Um, The city clerk is the uh, filing officer for the Form 700s in the city and also receives the campaign contribution and expenditure statements. Um, and is a general font of knowledge with respect to the requirements for filing those documents. And so that is a source that people often go to to ensure that they're complying with the city code as well as um, the government code. As we discussed last time, there's the ability of persons to come to the city attorney's office and ask for advice about conflicts of interest under the city's code. Um, the city also had a uh, city attorney's office, also on occasion, provides we'll call them um, classes or uh, small seminars with respect to these topics we're talking about um, to city employees, either through city university or through an internal process of an invite to the city attorney's office just for a refresher if anyone wants a refresher on these topics. Um, so generally, that is how the elected officials get their knowledge about these things. They also get it on generally a day-to-day basis. When you're running for an office, you are forced to learn about the campaign financing and disclosure restrictions. It's a, um, in addition to receiving this kind of learning, it's a, you know learn as you go type of thing also, and as situations crop up, they take advantage of the resources of the city clerk's office and the city attorney's office to get clarification uh, on those issues. So that's the general process by which people learn. They have these resources, and they have the resources of asking um, other city staff staff on what is the appropriate uh, – what they need to do, where is the appropriate place to look, to ensure that they're complying with the city's and state ethical standards. So that's generally um, the ethics overview. That is the training that the elected officials and appointed officials get in the city.
0: And I'll be happy to answer any questions. I think, uh, Matt, one of the – obviously you've uh, set forth all of the programs that the city has, both for the – administrative staff and the elected officials that are in place right now. I think one of the issues that how is all of the – and it's kind of a hydra-headed management system where the city attorney, the city clerk, and the city manager's office work together to try to make sure these this training occurs. I think one of the issues um, um, that comes to mind is – is the enforcement issue? Who, um, where does the whistleblower go? For example, do they? Is there a person somewhere who takes those calls, or who proactively goes out and kind of looks at this and enforces them uh, along the way, or is it done on complaint basis? Or exactly? How is this implemented, all of this material?
5: Well, generally, it would be a complaint basis. Um, For violations of the Political Reform Act, the California Political Reform Act, the FPPC is the enforcing body. So that would be the location, if someone knew to go there, that that's where they would go. Other items such as um, 1090 problems, government section 1090 with potential criminal consequences, typically – it would be the best place to go would be the district attorney who would either investigate or, or decline to investigate that complaint. For issues of um, – I mean, it is possible and, and theoretically possible for someone to come to, you know, the city manager and say, I've learned about this, and then an investigation could commence that way. It would depend, I suppose, upon what that person believed would be the appropriate person to go to up the chain of command. There is not, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know about the city manager's office, but I don't think there is a definitive statement of, for, quote, ethics violations or violations of these, go to your higher up. And again, uh, but it would be based upon what they believed was the appropriate thing to do. From enforcement... Obviously, there's multiple, there's different kinds of enforcement. If there was an enforcement of a, let's say there was a conflict of interest on a contract, someone learned that, um, let's say a small amount contract that didn't get to counsel, um, there was no bidding, um, say a $10,000 contract, and there was someone in engineering services who executed that for signs or something, and it learned later that, oh, that's his brother, Um, in addition to whatever maybe enforcement you would think about, obviously that person would potentially be subject to discipline through a administrative discipline for violating the city's – for violating the city code. That would be a disciplinable offense. And if, under that, in that situation, the city manager's appointing authority could take whatever discipline action was necessary, including termination. That would be one enforcement method. Also, as I mentioned before, if it was a violation of the city code, say, Chapter 2.16, for entering into a contract, that would be a misdemeanor, and that could be subject to prosecution by the city attorney's office for violation of the city code as a misdemeanor. How they would come and report that I mean, uh, they could come to the city's city attorney's office and report that. And then there, we would probably do an internal investigation in conjunction with the uh, other offices, the city manager's office as, say, the appointing authority to uh, do a personnel investigation and then determine whether or not it rose to the level of, of misdemeanor and it should be prosecuted as a misdemeanor. Um, that's one level of enforcement. In terms of – part of the issue, I guess, what you're, it's not only enforcement, but it seems to be awareness. How would you come to know that there would be a violation? And that would be simply a matter of someone would have to rat someone out, for lack of a better term, or it just rose to the surface later. Um, Some other issues are more obvious when, for example, bias situations where if you had a clear bias by a council member during a meeting in which you knew that they had a personal animosity with an applicant that came before them and um, that may present itself and it may be an obvious situation. At that point, the enforcement really needs to be an internal enforcement of having that person recuse themselves from any further consideration of the matter. If they don't recuse themselves, the enforcement comes later through a judicial action because of the, uh, it would be a judicial action by the applicant saying that there was a violation of their due process rights and there was a conflict of interest and they would have to go to court and get that, basically get the court, uh, the counsel's decision overturned. So it would be an after-the-fact enforcement and the decision would be um, Uh, deemed null and void. So there's different methods of enforcement depending upon what the violation
0: is. Yeah. In in terms of, um, I guess, proactive um, response to make sure that, you know, these um, ethical violations are minimized, I guess what you're saying is we operate on a complaint basis and we're trying to make the system accessible uh, and transparent to those folks who want to bring those kinds of issues to the people who have the knowledge. Well, and that's an internal, that's an internal culture of
5: allowing people to report those things which, which they believe to be out of the ordinary or, you know, in, in a culture which allows them to report. Now, having said that, I, it's not a 100% complaint-oriented because there are there are procedures in place that's the very nature of a form 700 is to is to at the front end make those persons aware that they may have a potential conflict of interest so that then when they're dealing with a contract down the road that this is something they don't need they should not be engaged in okay they should not be participating in this process because they have a disclosed uh, disclosed financial interest in something over here so it starts with that. Then it starts with the process of, for example, with contracting, as I mentioned, the competitive bidding process, which is allows for a fair process for the lowest responsible bidder to come in and avoid the potential ethical violation of inappropriate award of contract down the road. Then, when you get to, um, then you have the open meeting of the council when they either accept or reject the bid. And that's an open process where you can – the decision-making is made out in the open pursuant to the Brown Act. So there's a built-in structure that is intended to avoid the ethical violation in the first place. I mean, that's – obviously, that is the reason for these – the combination of these these regulations and and statutes is to avoid it in the first place. So there's a methodology um, through – for example, the Form 700, the city charter, the city code, the Brown Act, the meeting here in this chambers, to, if there is a problem, hopefully by that time, it is discovered. And it's possible to be discovered that way. So it's not, it wouldn't necessarily only be a complaint-based s- system. And again, you know, typically, most of these things you don't know. I, I shouldn't say that. For... When there's conflicts of interest on the council, I think those become obvious at some point. When, when there is a matter coming before the council and, let's say, there was a personal bias or a personal interest. And uh, it's been my experience that the council members are self-aware enough to know when they may have a personal conflict with something and recuse themselves. Um, so there is that process, too. It's a self-awareness process. At this level, there's, it seems to be a little more obvious to the council members and then a little more wary to engage in something which may result in, in, in bringing um, disfavor to them or the council as a body by taking an action they really shouldn't have taken. So it, there is that front-end process, too, in addition to the after-the-fact complaint and enforcement.
0: The other thing that's bothering me about this whole discussion is that sometimes there are procedural snafus that kind of have ethical implications or possibilities. I mean, it isn't just a cut-and-dry, this is an ethical problem, this is a procedural problem. And the one, obviously, is in the planning area where, where the city is going through that right now. Um, and people have asked me about that. And it, it you know, Basically that was a snafu which was brought to the attention of the manager's office by the utilities department who were the experts in FEMA. Uh, you know, regulations, which is talk about esoteric things that is definitely one of them, but and they brought that to the attention of the manager. The manager then, you know, had a little investigation and that's proceeding. Um and whether there are ethical problems or not is to be determined, but it's all meshed up and I, I guess my thinking through that is that the system kind of worked because here was an issue where those permits were issued. A department who was the expert on that raised the red flag and it was investigated so
5: hopefully um, the, this uh, uh, unfortunately, one could say or I should say one one benefit of a more complicated regulatory system typically is that there are more eyes watching a transaction as it flows through the system right, which allows for those over here to observe if something irregular was happening over here because they have to approve whatever you did. It goes through to you and then it goes through to you and then it goes through to you. And so you hope that you don't you, – you allow for those those double checks of, of the process. And so I think that – what you're describing is an example of that process where someone over here recognized, well, maybe there's – maybe something wasn't right that may have happened over here and goes to someone else and says, does that look right to you, or I, 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 I don't understand this. Why did this happen this way? And then that starts the ball rolling.
0: Right. And, and my, my sense is that a lot of these kinds of things would come up, except if they're kind of personal, you know, embezzlement, bribery, those kinds of things. But, I mean, procedural things that may or may not have ethical problems, it seems to me, the more transparency you can give, the more eyes you can get on these transactions, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And I guess that's kind of the essence of what all of these programs try to do. I don't know. Ms. Fuller.
4: Well, uh, thanks. I, the information has been helpful. <coughs> um, I, I know that I, – I think it's great that the city uh, <coughs> spends two hours. Uh, every two years to look at uh, ethical considerations and raise that um, you know to a level that people are thinking about and that kind of thing. Um, and we've mostly focused on city employees and things that happen internally. I'm interested in some of the more external uh, problems that uh, we might see. Um, you know politicians and even (coughs) candidates for office are really held in low esteem at this point. And um, my day job in terms of uh, common cause, um, we get calls uh, about people from all over the state, uh, people that are having, that are uh, noticing problems and then they wonder where to go with that problem. So for example, If a person close to a campaign here in Sacramento knew of a problem, wanted to be a whistleblower, um, we're depending on the city clerk's office, uh, the city attorney's office, to point them uh, to a place where they could get their complaint aired and looked at. Um, But we don't really have a procedure for doing that. And I, uh, I know that the city clerk's office looks at the campaign filings that people do when they're running for office. but I, uh, And that's one question I would have of the city clerk's office is, is there a designated person that uh, reviews those filings and makes sure that uh, what's happening in campaigns uh, upholds the campaign laws? In terms of lobbyist disclosure, I, I wonder about that.
5: Um, I, I don't want to speak necessarily on behalf of the clerk's office unless Don wants to chime in, but there are designated persons within the clerk's office, as, as in any office, to handle certain responsibilities of the clerk's office,
1: mm-hmm.
5: you know, agendas, um, public filings, uh, PRAs. So there are identified personnel within the office who deal with those campaign issues on a regular basis and who are experienced doing that, yes. Mm-hmm. So there are there is someone there who mm-hmm.
4: does that. I'm uh, glad to hear that because I, you know, I thought that Mr. Majewski's um, uh, report on uh, monitoring the Ethics Commission in San Diego was useful uh, to me because it, it really gave uh, concrete examples about uh, what an Ethics Commission might do. Um, on this committee we've been really strong about we're not going to fix something that's not broken. So, I've been thinking about is something broken here that would require an ethics commission? So, um, the kind of things that I thought about in those terms is uh, where would an outsider go, an outsider whistleblower, go with information um, that's not clear. Um, And and I don't know if that would happen if somebody had to start calling down a roster of city offices to say, "I have this information about this campaign uh, that's really not playing by the rules," and that is a concern. Um, The uh, uh, Joanne, I
0: think that's a concern also internally. I I Mm -hmm. think there there isn't as clear. Uh, a path for folks to do exactly what you said Mm -hmm. i i don't uh, there is a path but Mm -hmm. you've got to be pretty knowledgeable to know who's who in the zoo here so um i i think that could be uh better done and Mm -hmm. you know just to your point Mm -hmm. on the external that Mm -hmm. would probably be good too Mm -hmm. to just have you know a memo that says you know, this is who you go to for these kinds of issues mm-hmm. and just have it publicized and be, be very clear. Because I, I think that is a uh, little bit of an issue, both internally and externally. Mm-hmm.
6: I agree.
4: I, I agree. Um, th- there was an example, um, uh, gosh, months ago, maybe, I think it was this year, where the the um, there were staffer volunteer staffers within the mayor's office, and that was raised as a concern about uh, people that were not city employees sitting in on uh, city business, where matters of economic um, confidentiality were being discussed. And uh, the city council took up that problem uh, of a possible conflict of interest and uh, decided that uh, folks should fill out a form. That form wasn't satisfactory to me. It didn't give me the information as a citizen to really know if there was a conflict of interest or not. And I thought that was another example of a, something that the if we had an ethics commission, when those kind of new uh, problems come up that uh, an ethics commission could deal with those um, issues, uh, really talk about uh, what our goals would be, uh, what kind of regulations we would want, what kind of information the public would want, that kind of thing. And then uh, just to observe that the, um, I'm an advocate here in case you uh, The other, the other thing um, that I really thought about was we're really depending on the city clerk's office and the uh, attorney's office to handle these kind of situations. Um, If the strong mayor initiative, the certified initiative passes, then um, then I, then we wouldn't have an, uh, an independent office uh, to go to for these kind of concerns. And I thought that was also uh, potentially a problem as we go down um, in the future with different mayors and that kind of thing.
0: <coughs> Ms. So that's, that's oh, the kind oh. of thing I was thinking of. Okay. Are you finished?
1: Thank you. Ms. Thank you. Um, I guess the in just looking, first of all, I'm going to ask one question, Ms. Rhea. You were, you were talking about city awarding bids. You referenced that earlier tonight and you're talking, and, and the, how that should be done. Of these eight things here, where does that fit in?
5: Oh, actually, uh, and I apologize, that could have been added on to the end of the list. Um, The city charter actually provides in somewhere around Section 200, I think it's 200, 201, 202, 203, requiring competitive bids for public projects as well as competitive bids for the purchase of supplies pursuant to an ordinance um, passed by the council. And then the council ha- has multiple chapters in the code, um, chapters 3.62, 3.63, 3.60, that deal with contracting procedures. So there have been ordinances adopted which require that for, for public projects or for um, supply contracts over $100,000, they shall be set out to formal bid and that they awarded to the lowest um, the lowest responsible bidder. So there is a foundation in the charter and in the code for that. I just, it's just not on this list. I should have added that. But as you can see, it was in the other section.
1: Thank you. The reason that that confused me so much is because actually the whole list I find very confusing just because I never, thank God, have to deal with any of these things in my daily life. But I I guess (laughs) the best word (laughs) to describe this would be sort of the word Byzantine, because it seems like it's a whole bunch of um, different things that affect people and um, yet I can't even imagine how somebody would have to know enough to be able to operate under all of these. I guess people do. Um, and that it seems like the system is really only well known to the city attorney's office and the city's clerk's office.
5: Um, I respectfully disagree with that. Okay. I, think are, I think there are plenty of people um, there are plenty of people in the city manager's office who are, are aware how this works. Um, I think there are plenty of people probably here on the, on, the, on the dais who understand how it works as well as their clients um, who, who deal with this on a regular basis. In uh, another aspect of that, I will say that not all of these necessarily apply to every person. Um, for example, the lobbyist registration and reporting may only apply to somebody, and they have no... Concern over campaign contributions because they're not dealing with elections versus a, a candidate and an elected official might need to worry about uh, some of these and not others. I mean, uh, the, the the council member doesn't really need to worry about lobbyist registration. It's it's they don't need to register. They're a council member, and and so um, and most city employees will only really need to worry about. Most city – I mean, a lot of city employees are not covered under the city's conflict of interest code because they aren't making any kind of financial decisions or or policy decisions in which they need to worry about their um, potential conflicts of interest. And that's why we adopt a, a, a conflict of interest code by resolution every year to identify the positions in the city that need to fill that out. And for those people who do fill it out, you know, they mean that – they won't need to necessarily worry about AB 1234 training, some of them. So there is not all of these will apply to everybody all the time. So it's really not necessary for any one person necessarily to know all this, except for those persons who need to have that expertise in the city clerk's office and the city attorney's office.
1: Okay. And then we can u-
5: be used as a resource for that.
1: Okay, now give me your best estimate here. Mm-hmm. How many people within the city are affected by all of these
5: by all of them, or no, by no, no, any no. one of them.
1: Any one of them.
5: Well, number seven, for example, lobbyist registration affects third parties. It requires okay. them to register.
1: All right.
5: Um, the campaign contribution limits and campaign finance affects candidates and potential can- uh, current or well, candidate is okay. essentially anyone who's now sitting or ever going to run. It's a very broad uh, swath. And those people who are involved in their campaigns, typically the campaign managers. So you have several dozen scores of people who, who are familiar with that. And in this town, there are plenty of people who are familiar with campaign uh, contribution and, and running campaigns, being treasurers, whatnot. Um, in terms of the statement of economic interest, it's, all, it's not actually all that complicated to fill out. Those person – the employees who do have to fill it out – I, mean, I, I think actually, we
1: did want to be on this committee. Yes,
5: it's that same form. I think for most people, I fill one out. Um, I, I, I regret to say that mine's too short, unfortunately.
1: So but, did you say, um, uh, you know, several hundred people are affected by yes, it, number two?
5: I would say in the city there are several hundred people who are affected by that, yes. Probably uh, high several hundred who, who need to fill out that form. Um in the ethics training, those persons who need, uh, those are elected and appointed officials. So that's a limited number of people who actually have to participate in that training by law. Give me law. an estimate on that. On well, that would be well, like, it, it, a dozen or so. Oh, okay. Or uh, actually, boards and commissions well, also receive yeah, that training say, too. All the, all So all I should say that. Commission.
7: Uh,
0: actually, it
5: would be more than that. It would be, let's say, the low
0: hundreds. The, well they're are like 80 boards well I think
5: there's approximately 30 mr. chair currently in the city boards and commissions there's approximately 30 okay. 32
0: okay. All right. um, so times give or take 10 on each <coughs> times five that's 1,500 plus times five on each commission committee. well I was
5: thinking 30 times 10 per Ten commission is, so okay. 300 so yeah. let's say the several a, a, a few hundred okay Related to the city, and then, of course, obviously, county officials need to do this too, etc.
1: And how about the number four—the gifts to agency and the tickets provided? That really. How many does
5: that affect? That does not affect a large amount of people at all. Okay. Low dozens, dozens.
1: Okay, Okay. for both of those. Well, that makes me feel better already. Yeah. And we're not torturing (laughs) huge numbers of people with this because you look at it, and I had I had trouble putting it in in perspective. Thank you. Um, when you made a statement, one benefit of a more regulated system is that there are more eyes looking at an issue. And um, I think that's a, that's a great way of saying that. I, w- I, would, I would hope that would be true. Um, but it's just I wonder how many eyes we actually have looking at things. I just hear a lot of comments from people maybe they don't get specific enough about things that they consider ethical violations. And I I wonder if the general public that have some idea of something would have any way of knowing whether they could check something out and find that out. It doesn't seem like it's very transparent to the public. And as Joanne brought up, like, what would would a potential whistleblower or someone that had an outsider that had an issue that wanted to pursue it, would they know where to go? It doesn't seem like, to me, anyone knows that. And so that would be something from the citizen's viewpoint that could definitely be improved. And I think um, Shirley had said that the this city clerk's website was going to take more leadership in that area in the future. She mentioned something along that line, which I thought was, was a positive. Um, I want to ask one more question, which is um, – you talked a little bit about the council members and their conflicts. And, and I had two things come up in the last year that I was at the council meetings, and it, they just have stood out in my mind. And I wasn't really sure how they were uh, resolved. And uh, one involved my own councilman, Councilman Cohen, and it had to do with uh, a council meeting or two where they discussed the plasma arc technology. And one of the meetings he was um, – he recused himself because smud was um, a player or, or not a player I guess was a better way of saying that in that issue um, yet at a subsequent meeting councilman Cohen came and was very vigorous in the discussion and so here I'm an outsider I like councilman Cohen he <laughs> appointed me this committee but you know I was sitting there thinking well, how did that come down and you know I, I never really did pursue it but it left me with wondering um, and the other was the uh, involving Mayor Johnson, and that was um, his voting on the timing of the election for the Strong Mayor initiative. There, there wasn't much pursuit of whether or not that was a conflict of interest. Yet, it, it just seemed to me, and again, I'm sure no expert on this, I'm just going by perceptions, that he was directly, it was a direct conflict of interest, interest, and yet nobody seemed to bring it up or. And, you know, so anyways, those are just two experiences that I had in the last year that left me as really an outsider wondering. Now you said they sort of self, um, what was the term you used? Self-regulate or self? Self-awareness, no, 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 no. having you, self-awareness. You, you, you I kind think. of prayed out loud that they were self-aware enough yeah. to be able to, so, so tell me what happens. What, what would I've done? I, I, I didn't. What sure would, I would you have, Councilman Cohen? But but you know, I'm just wondering where, if somebody really had an issue with this, where would they go, and where, where, how could they maybe get an answer to that? Well,
5: if you believe there was a conflict of it, those kinds of conflict of interest that you're talking about, would be FPPC conflicts, those uh, in, involving the decision making by a council member, and so uh, typically, if you were um, knowledgeable enough. You would report a potential violation to the if you thought it was a violation to the FPPC and see what they had to do with it, because ultimately they would be the entity with jurisdiction over determining um, whether or not there was a violation of the Political Reform Act. So that's where a citizen would go. I personally have never, as a citizen, called the FPPC and and, and seen how they respond to your your uh, a citizen complaint. So I wouldn't know what they do with that if a citizen calls in. Um, but uh, if it's any comfort to you, um, the issues that you talked about, when issues come up, I mean, these things don't happen and uh, there is, there, there's usually discussion about it. I, I think you remember from the paper that there was discussion about the mayor's um, vote on it back in August, mm-hmm. and it was an issue that was um, in the papers, mm-hmm. so uh, I guess I would – I guess slightly disagree then that the issue was not really dealt with in a way or wasn't resolved. Um, But the the issues of conflict of interest come up not very often, but there is a methodology for dealing with those issues. Either through uh, the council person being again self-aware, or consulting with the city attorney's office as to whether or not the, they, the city attorney believes there is a potential conflict of interest and receives advice on that. So there is a process for doing that, and um, and has been that process has been in place for as long as you know the city attorney's office has been here, that the council members can ask the city attorney as to whether or not there may be a potential conflict of interest with any item on the agenda.
0: I think the issue But you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily
5: know that because that's something that is, would be attorney-client communication yeah. between the member and the city attorney's office, and so that would happen long before – well, not necessarily long before, but presumably and hopefully happens prior to the time that 6 o'clock rolls around and the decision-making process is, is undertaken. So it's done in a way, a confidential way, um, with counsel's advice. And yeah. that is legal counsel's advice. Not that, counsel's
0: advice. That, that's exactly what happened in, in your example about Councilman Cohn. The circumstances changed. He, he was advised by the city attorney he no longer had a conflict because of they, they had a partnership and then they didn't. Yeah. And so – At the time, the first time the, –
5: the, at the time that you're talking about, SMUD was actively engaged in courting a plasma arc gasification technology at the same time the city was. And so that was the, con- that was the potential conflict there. And it was pretty obvious. I think everyone – that was something that was out there. Um, But circumstances change. Conflicts can change. I can sell a piece of property. A council member could sell a piece of property before it comes back up and therefore no longer has a conflict with that piece of property. So facts can change over time. That's why something may happen different one time than it happens Mm -hmm. at a different time.
0: Yeah, and and I happen to know something about that, and he was very careful about that. Oh, oh, I assure
1: you, I believe he was careful. But from an outsider viewpoint, it left me wondering. It, you know, I just wondered, and so when you started bringing this up, I thought, well, there we go. There's something that, as an outsider, I didn't really have any way of understanding. Um, I just wanted one more comment, and that was to second Joanne's uh, concern that if the strong mayor initiative passes, that the independence of the city attorneys or city attorney's office and the city's clerk's office um, being the eyes on this seems to be a kind of a huge concern. Thank you.
0: That's a good point. Dr. Nula?
1: I appreciate
3: the valuable comments. I do think we need to look at it in terms of the reality of ethical behavior and the purposes of all this red tape. Much of the reason that we started writing these, and I did them back in 11-222 for the feds, back in 64 and the ethics act that we passed in 78 at that level and those have just been compounded at every level of government and the basic design is to keep honest organizations and honest people's reputations intact and largely then that's based around what joanne was commenting is the reality must be backed up with clarity with Perception, since it's the perception of evil uh, that usually is behind writing all of these regulations. Looks to me like they've done a good job of it. But we also need, then, to look at the other aspect. Not only is it every level of government that has this vast array of regulations, but I, working in a private organization, have at least this many also. And they're exceedingly complicated. If my organization wishes to secure grants and we wish to secure hundreds of millions of dollars worth of them. We must meet all those regulations of the federal government, state government and various corporate regulations. Or if I, as an investor entirely aside from where I work, wish to do investments, you can be sure I'm tied down with this as well. So again, it gets back to the problem of intense suspicions. And the suspicions can do great damage to honest, good people. So by and large, we write these to try to protect the honest, good people, keep them out of trouble. Because often they're just making innocent mistakes. As if I had to run to office and meet all the regulations for financing an election, I'd probably wind up in in prison forever. Uh, it simply is a very complicated reality in which you and I and everyone else lives. So that gets back then to where Joanne, I suspect, is coming from, that we need to go beyond the reality, which is designed to protect the innocent, keep others out of trouble, but then also gotcha for the tiny fraction of a percent of wicked people. We go beyond that to get clarity of the perception of honesty. And for me, frankly, having it in the clerk's office and the attorney's office is enough. My experience would be, even here in the city, that those who are concerned with these matters know them very well. Um, I have students from the early 20s up through the 50s, those who are in top positions like police chiefs, running fire departments, running budget offices. You can be sure they know these. And if they didn't, they would be in prison. So um, it's very well known. Just like I know them, I wouldn't invest a million dollars without knowing the regulations to keep me out of trouble. Uh, But I would look forward in Sacramento and note that once we do get in mind what the new auditor, uh, independent budget officer position may be, that we will want to think, at it could be that that would be a place for high visibility, just letting people know what these are so they can have access to them. I suspect that at this point the city is in such turmoil over the initiative that we shouldn't be adding more to the turmoil and the problems just now. As I get around the town listening to folks, and we have more static going on than is probably good for the city. And we need to get through that rough time. But then I would certainly agree at some time if that initiative were to pass and withstand court uh, challenges, to be sure, most people would probably have greater confidence in government with an ethics commission. Uh, But I suspect we have to wait and see part of that. But I probably wouldn't wait a long time. If we were to wind up, say, able to hire someone at the equivalent of an inspector general of great competence who could pull together that new audit budget office, it could be we could put those there very visibly. We could put them on the web in a more visible fashion. I'll admit even trying to find the records of our committee, I don't find our web easy to work with. I know we can't invest a whole lot of money on it. But when I ask my students to go to the Sacramento website, it's just too complicated. You just cannot find the agendas. You can't find the stuff uh, in the time that a typical brilliant person has to spend on it. So at some point, we'll be able to, either through that new IG's office, that is that auditor's office, or through your office and through the clerk's office, make those more visible, recognizing that it's really perception, That is crucial,
8: Mr. Tapio. Um, I just wanted to uh, follow up on something I mentioned at a previous meeting (coughs) concerning the uh, forms 700s. I do think it's a great foundational document for um, helping uh, shed some sunlight on uh, the operations of of our city, and. I think it would be a good move for transparency for the city to start posting the Form 700s on their website. Um, it's something well within the ability of the clerk and the city to do under current law. Um, and I think that's something that would help allow people uh, in the audience, people on TV watching the city council to have a better sense of what conflicts um, certain city council members may have. So I would just encourage um, the city attorney's office and the city clerk's office to consider doing that. And second, I just wanted to speak for a second about um, the Fair Political Practices Commission. Um, I've had some interactions with them in the past on different projects I've had where um, they've got a toll free number you can call and. Uh, ask for information. Um, you can give them um, the specifics of your particular case. You can stay anonymous if you want. Um, but you call their 800 number during business hours. You get to speak to an attorney, usually with virtually no waiting time. And um, if they need to get back to you with with advice letters, something in writing or um, previous cases, they're always very quick to do so. So I've, I've always found, particularly as it relates to the um, the, the state statewide laws and the the Political Reform Act, the FPPC, has been very quick um, and very efficient uh, to, for any person to have access to, not just elected officials, but um, candidates um, and just general citizens.
0: Thanks, Chris. Uh, anybody else on this subject? Okay, I think it, at this point it would be appropriate to move on to item number five, which is the discussion of the Ethics Commission itself. Um, is there a report on that, Mark?
2: Matt? Mark? just want to provide you a little bit of background on that, uh, Chair Edgar and members of the committee. At your meeting on November 16th, uh, you heard from John Steiner, the Austin, elef- the Austin Ethics Officer, who talked to you a little bit about his review of the document the inst- that the Institute for Local Government uh, provided, uh, dated December 2007 and entitled Understanding the Role of Ethics Commissions. He indicated he wished he had written that himself. And um, at that meeting, Chair Edgar noted that that document could be a good starting point for your discussions as you considered the question of of, um, whether an ethics commission or some form of an ethics officer would be appropriate for Sacramento. And if you take a look at the, so what we've done is we've included this handout again for you this evening. And if you take a look at the first page of that, the first question is, what is your overall goal? That really is probably an appropriate starting point for this discussion. And so at this point, I'll just hand it back to you, Chair Edgar,
0: regarding that. Okay. Joanne?
4: I uh, really appreciate that document and the kind of questions that you'd need to answer in order Mm -hmm. to develop an ethics commission. I'm of the strong opinion that we don't have time to do that tonight, and uh, this would be the time, right? So.
0: Well, they – it would be a time, and I think we ought to take the time to discuss the matter. Yeah. As to whether we arrive at a decision, that's another issue, and we could certainly put that to our next meeting. But I think at least I would like to get a good sense of where the Commission is – or the Committee is on this issue go ahead please
4: uh, so
0: or are you finished
4: uh, I have a recommendation in mind but I I'll enjoy well, what, the discussion. what
0: is what is your recommendation? no no
4: my, uh, the recommendation would be that <clears throat> that uh, we would endorse the possibility of a ethics Commission that we would uh, ask the council to consider it and at that point as they consider it, look into all of the intricate questions about jurisdiction and um, that kind of thing.
0: I agree with that uh, assessment because I I do think that the time is ticking on this committee, and I I don't think we have enough time to really vet all the intricate details of what would be involved Mm -hmm. in here. And to be honest, this is such a – a large issue we have a lot of material that the city attorney has gone over there's mm-hmm. a lot of rules guidelines procedures as dr newland indicated that are now in place at the city and um i'm thinking there needs to be definitely a road map for all of that and for others to look at to find their way through the maze there definitely needs to be that and there needs to be a clear explanation of where the whistleblower goes, if they have, he or she has a problem in that regard. I think there's, I think there's little question about that. But the whole issue of an ethics commission, uh, we heard in LA, the budget for that is several million dollars a year. The city simply can't afford that at this point. So I. Well, you, The the budget
4: for Los Angeles is several million. I understand. (laughs) I understand. And and so
0: the budget for Oakland was a lot less, but I'm not sure it was as effective as maybe you would have in mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was one person and an assistant who I'm not sure it exactly did the what. I I kind of like uh, Dr. Newland's idea of maybe uh, as the council thinks through the idea of having uh, a budget analyst, uh, inspector general, whatever you call an auditor, whatever you want to call it, and as that position kind of um, develops and um, institutionalizes into the organization, then mm-hmm. then maybe that's a possibility of where that that function could mm-hmm. reside. That I, that's not a bad idea. Ms. Hastings.
1: Um, Yeah, I think there's two issues here. The first one is sort of the current laws that we have that uh, Mr. Ruyak went over tonight. And I think we need to make a recommendation to step up the transparency of those, uh, not just to the people who have to follow them now and understand them, but to those outside and how that they can understand what they are and uh, make those more transparent and uh, increase their web presence. And those are th- things that could happen in the next 60, 90 days if, if put mind to it. There are existing laws that doesn't require anything but organizing this information and getting it on the web. And I think that would be my first comment. The second is that, um, you know, I feel like the discussion we've had and maybe we'll have in another meeting is completely inadequate to decide whether or not we need to go to the the Commission level which seems like the the most um, extreme and we definitely interviewed those people last uh, the last meeting and those are probably the, the the most intense examples is the Commission approach but looking at the list here of the task force the committee the officer uh, Ombudsman approach like Austin I think is an excellent small government <laughs> approach. So I love that. But I think that one of the things we might do at this point is recommend to the council that we they establish an ethics task force and that we outline some of the things that, um, that could be part of that because it, it just takes people to spend a lot more time looking at these things. I mean, these documents, I read through this today, but I mean, everyone's doing it slightly differently and we'd have to try to figure out why are they doing it, take quite a bit of analysis to, you know, see where what our problems are and what their solutions are and what would be a good fit for Sacramento. But we just totally don't have enough time to do that, given our, our scheduled time on this subject. But I, I think the task force would be a way to, to um, um, show that we think there is an issue here worth pursuing, but that another body needs to pursue it. Thank you.
0: Anybody else? Mayor, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, all, commissioners. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Ms. Thomas.
6: I, I'm going to agree with Cecily. I think that there's probably the need for more in-depth review of this issue. I mean, I have some. I think you know, sitting here today, I like the idea of an ethics commission. I really do. But it's, you know, there's a lot of issues related to that, such as jurisdiction and membership and staffing and budgets. And, um, you know, so I I think that it's something that we should recommend to the City Council, should be explored more um, extensively and thoughtfully. Um, Whether or not they decide to continue our task doing that, or if they appoint a separate committee, that's Certainly up to them, but as I said, sitting here today, I think it's a wonderful idea. I think it's a perfect checks and balances that we need for this government, um, for the city government. So, but I, I, I agree with you that it just needs more discussion, probably out in the public as well.
0: Uh, we have one speaker, uh, Rick. Let's do that. Yeah.
9: Uh, thank you. Uh, Rick Bettis, and well, uh, first of all, I might mention you, you know received the League of Women Voters um, conclusions of their study and position, and it doesn't address the Ethics Commission, and the reason it doesn't is that they've had a uh, position in support of such a commission or, you know, something with equivalent uh, powers and independence. That's probably the most important thing. For many years, because I remember standing in the old building and advocating for such a such an entity um, eight nine years ago, uh, and personally, I you know I still feel and I I, I like what I hear about uh, appointing a task force that would focus on this because it is complicated. I know I spent a lot of time on the phone with. Um, the Director of the Los Angeles Commission and with the San Francisco Commission to try to get an understanding of what they can and cannot do, um, but i 'm still thinking it is it is a promising thing that you should look at much more seriously. Um, last time I spoke up here, I, I think uh, Member Hastings uh, insightfully pointed out that I tended to have a a non-profit bias, or it seemed that way, and that maybe be true, because since retirement I've been a full-time volunteer in non-profit organizations, but I did spend 35 years in the private sector. I was a partner in a small engineering company at the, you know, towards more to the last third of that of my career. And actually that experience, uh, <laughs> uh, reinforced, or actually probably led to my feelings about the need for something like an ethics commission uh, our little company did services for local governments, actually all over the state and out of state. And there were instances where I, I felt, you know, we were on the edge when it came to ethical considerations because there are those, you know, who feel, you know, obligations to make projects move forward, uh, because of, you know, political considerations and all. And, and that put a strain on the, um, our, might call our professionalism, um, I particularly think of one in Southern California where the um, local management and, and elected officials really were unhappy with the uh, conclusions of their own flood control district and drainage engineer, and so they brought us in from four hundred miles away to to look at it and we thought it was you know an independent look, but it was clear that their expectations is that we would make you know facilitate the um, completion of this this proposed project, and and frankly, we couldn't do that uh, because of just because of technical grounds. That, you know, there were going to be impacts from this project that could endanger other property and 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 um, citizens, and so we just couldn't reach that conclusion. But we felt that subtle, but you know, fairly clear uh, pressure to reach that conclusion. And actually, I had to fall back on my own, you know, the ethics requirement of the uh, state licensing law for my. My professional civil engineer's license to to just say that we that we just can't go there, and it it worked out. I mean, we you know we ended up pretty much reaching the same conclusion as their own as their own in-house uh, flood control engineer. But there were strains, and for those reasons, I think this is something that can't be forgotten about. And and appointing uh, a task force to to look at it in more depth, I think, is is quite quite reasonable approach. I might mention that uh, you know you've got the Electronic disclosure, uh, system for the, uh, for the city for campaign finance as a result of discussions with the San Francisco Ethics Commission. We actually borrowed that from San Francisco and it's been improved since then, since then. And I think the Ethics Commission could also, with their independence, strengthen some other laws in the area of campaign finance and, and disclosure and the lobbyist disclosure, like, you know, our lobbyist disclosure, um, ordinance is really the bare bones and I think you know we should at least you know make an attempt to improve that uh in something you know similar to what other you know San Francisco, Los Angeles and the state of California have. So for that reason I I, I urge you to not to take this off the table and I would recommend as suggested by uh, members Thomas and, and uh, Hastings to um, go go forth with a with a task force to look at this in more detail. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Hastings.
1: Mr. Bettis, I want to give you credit. You got credit for something coming. And that was the, um, when you came and spoke to us a couple of meetings ago, you were the one that brought up the idea of removing language regarding full-time and part-time. And I borrowed that from you, and I'm very appreciative. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Um, John, is there anything you want to add to this? Uh, what, what's your feeling about um, you know, kind I of bifurcating can, these issues? Yeah, and but with respect to
7: the ethics issue, I, I think the task force is a good idea. Uh, I guess that was a series of folks who came up with that, but I think that's a good way to proceed with that. I'll tell you something which was interesting to me. As uh, we went through those various procedures, the legal things that, that Matt walked us through, I think over here he's right. We, we know what these things are. Uh, because we have to deal with them day in and day out. But I thought it was very interesting, uh, the way Cecily, you, and Joanne pointed out, that that's not true of the public generally. And so it seems to me the accessibility of that is an important issue. Any central point where people can access that with an individual to talk to if they have a concern is an important thing to be talking about doing.
0: Um, Chris, Chet, anything else on this issue? Uh. Anybody? Uh, Dr. Newell? Um,
3: I agree with the way John and others have put it. The timing is the part that concerns me. Um, When I do listen to many people on all sides of the issues, I just encounter a lot of people who say Sacramento City is under too many strains, juggling too much anger, uh, too much concern, so that although I certainly strongly would agree, that it would be useful to have a serious study of uh, either an ethics commission or alternatives. And furthermore, I would even say in the meantime, we could make sure that this sort of thing is easily found by people. Uh, Because we already have it compiled. (laughs) I should note and thank you in the clerk's office. I've already made copies and passed it out to people. So we need to make it that available to other people. But now back to my key point. I suspect putting more big issues like uh, different voting methods, some of which I find attractive, or the Ethics Commission might inject into the strained relationships that already exist, ideas uh, that utter chaos prevails in the city, to where I'm more or less inclined to say, most of these issues need to be put off until after June of 2010, or even until the fall, uh, when people can digest them without all the anger and suspicions and so on.
0: Yes, I don't. I don't think that's inconsistent with what the people are recommending, Chet. No. I, I think what what I'm hearing is that there needs to be a recommendation that says, with regard to the documents that are now in place and the rules and the regulations, as you say, the red tape, there needs to be an effort on the part of the staff to organize and centralize the material uh, of the existing resources and then provide a a document or something that um, provides a Um, a way that people can easily access them and understand them and then improve the website. And it seems to me that that can be being done. I don't think that's a controversial issue in terms of organizing, making more transparent, centralizing the existing information and, and making it more understandable and accessible. I think that's one part. The other part is that uh, what I'm hearing is the committee saying that this um, idea of an ethics commission uh, has a lot of merit, and we ought to really seriously consider that. Uh, And perhaps after June 10th, uh, if the council feels so inclined, they ought to appoint a special group of special task force group of people to focus on it and to provide the recommendations back to the city council that's kind of what i'm hearing is that what everybody is feeling at this point
1: the only thing i would add is to consider maybe not getting wrapped up in the timing of it i mean we were asked to make a recommendation not make a recommendation as to when they do it or when they move forward with it um the other thing that i a little concern me was a discussion about costs and and making a decision now that maybe to not pursue something because ultimately it might be costly I mean let's hope that we're making decisions based upon what's in the best interest for the city not based upon the current budget situation so um, you know maybe we ought to just move forward with a recommendation to establish a task force and let them, in their wisdom, figure out when to do it. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that enough direction, Mark?
2: I, I think it is. And just as you know, just in looking at the calendar, uh, you essentially have two more meetings. The next meeting will be an opportunity to finalize your your thinking on this specific issue, as well as. Um, initiate, we'll have a reminder, a refresher on the IRV ranked choice voting issue as as well as uh, time allocated to some decision making related to that. Um, You have an opportunity to take a tentative vote this evening, and you also have an opportunity to perhaps again uh, delegate some of the writing to a group of individuals, subcommittee, relating to the narrative of what this might look like. I think I've heard the chair outline a couple of issues, maybe the framing of, of the thinking at this point of the committee, but these are this is an opportunity tonight to, if, you, if the committee would like, to take a tentative vote and also think about how to draft the narrative associated with this. Thankfully, the narrative does have a little more time. <laughs> We're not under the pressure that we've had in the past. Uh, that narrative won't need to be
0: done until... Um, that first meeting in January. Well, what what I would like to do or suggest is that you take a first shot at the narrative and that that you review it with John Taylor, uh, Alan, and Cecily, who are our drafting committee. And I, I don't think – I think the narrative doesn't have – you know, it has to be bifurcated in terms of the existing things that exist now and then this – idea of the Ethics Commission, but I think you heard the testimony. Mr. Tapio. Uh,
8: just to kind of frame the issue for the next coming weeks as well, I think my thinking is kind of along the same lines for instant runoff voting as we have here for the Ethics Commission, um, that we've talked about some interesting issues, but there's a lot more to be discussed and other people that have more time uh, and, you know, to look at the nuances of this issue ought to look at it. Um, I think uh, and it would be my preference for both the Ethics Commission recommendation and if we get to that point on the Instant Runoff Voting recommendation, that we not necessarily endorse either proposal that we have an Ethics Commission or Instant Runoff Voting. But, you know, maybe we ought to look at that. And we can certainly help provide a foundation of information to that group because um, we have been provided with some very useful reference material.
0: On the instant runoff voting, me or on both? On, both, on yeah. both, yeah.
8: I think we got some great information on uh, ethics commissions <coughs> that really frame the question about well, what do you want to accomplish, yeah. how do you want to do it,
0: right, right. right. Yeah. John,
7: I'd just like to add, suggest that we add Joanne in on the drafting review Oh, that's committee. a good idea. Uh, she that, had a lot of input here, that's so, a good idea. so that gets built into it as we
0: do it. Okay, great, thanks, uh, Tina.
6: Yeah, I was just going to say I second Chris's idea about um, looking at instant runoff voting in more way. detail. Yeah, in the same way. To do it now is just rushed and
4: doesn't make any sense to me.
0: What's your opinion on that, Joanne? You're the key on this instant runoff voting.
4: I think Grantland's uh, – Mr. Johnson's actually the key, but um, I'm well, here. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, I was a little confused by Mr. Tapio's suggestion. Um, are you saying that people within the uh, charter <coughs> review committee look at it, or you're saying uh, let's just say that we've looked at it. We think someone else ought to look at it more. Is that more of the?
8: Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's I'm not I'm not saying it should be this group. I just I think the city ought to have Four another group should. take a look at it. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think those two issues are big enough to have two task forces. Mm-hmm. My, myself, mm-hmm. they're they're very important, um, and at least with the inter- instant runoff voting, it's pretty complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I would think a, a focused group on both those would make sense. Mm-hmm. Cecily,
1: I I agree. Two different task forces uh, looking at both of those issues. And I think maybe we could even, because it looks like we're off schedule already when I look at this. I mean, tonight we're supposed to be talking about election processes, Mm -hmm. December 3rd, we're not. So that means we just have one meeting. So if maybe we could (coughs) maybe wrap the next report up, just a recommendation on two task forces and and what we've learned that we think um, creates the case for those task forces just focus on that i mean we probably have enough information if we go back through it on the instant runoff voting to make a case for that we definitely have it on the ethics commission committee or some type of a a body but if if we kind of put those two reports together so they're not separate because they've got the same approach
0: yeah i think that's what from a
1: writing viewpoint that would be preferable
0: That's kind of, I think, what Chris was saying, that when we approach both of those in the same way. Yeah. What do you think, Mark?
2: (laughs) I think there's a lot of material available uh, to prepare a nice draft for you. And as I look forward to the December 14th uh, meeting, the staff was intending to provide, at your request, a a refresher on ranked choice voting, instant runoff voting, as well as report back to you on some of the, the questions you had about how much time some of these other agencies took to evaluate these things. And so some of that data is actually being gathered over the next couple of days. Um, the clerk is at a conference where she will have an opportunity to talk with a number of these other city representatives, and we're anticipating uh, connecting on Monday and sharing some of that data. So. Some of that information can be brought back into the narrative and provided for you as a draft on the 14th. And in addition to that, uh, there will be an agenda item dedicated to addressing the sunset question that you had talked a little bit about, the council had inquired about during that first presentation. So there will be some other issues as well on the 14th. And uh, I think it will be – we have enough information to provide you a draft and work
0: with this committee. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. The the issue. Let me just ask you a question on the on the issue on the sunset. Um, if we do nothing on the sunset, the sunset takes a place, right? That's the existing resolution. So we would affirmatively have to do something to make a recommendation to have something different happen. Is that right? Is that the way you see it, Matt? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I, my
5: recollection was I thought that was a discussion point from um, meeting or two meetings ago. Okay, I, yeah, but okay. you know, I guess I'd have to go back and check the record. But yes, that, that would have to happen. Otherwise, it's
0: just by operation of the resolutions terms, it will sunset. It will sunset automatically without anything, um, without anything happening on our part. Yeah. Okay, um, Joanne.
4: So I'm sorry, I'm not tracking here. So the committee that's set up to uh, do the report is going to meet and do that over email. And then what's what's the what's the staff uh, contributing?
0: No, the staff is going to put together a uh, a preliminary draft of those. Uh reports that we talk to and work with the committee to finalize the language, is the Thanks. way I understand it. And you're on the committee, by Thank the way. <laughs> yeah, I better get it straight. Huh? Cecily?
1: Uh, the, the more impor- – I'm glad you brought up that uh, point, Mark, about what other cities – how other cities have approached it, because I think the more information in our recommendation to give the council on direction on how to proceed with this, the better. I'd like to include that research in our recommendation so that we don't just say establish a task force and then they're on their own trying to figure out how to do it. I'd like to be able to give them the the work done on that so that they can better make a decision.
2: And in, in, with respect to the ranked choice voting, we are specifically looking at California agencies just because of the unique circumstances in California. We won't be looking outside of the state. And as I look at the calendar, recognizing that um, we will, staff will intend to publish your agenda for the 14th, which is a Monday, it's a Monday meeting, we will be intending to publish that on Thursday, which means that we will need to put together a draft, between now and well between Monday and Tuesday and get it to you uh, the committee Tuesday perhaps ish uh, and and hope to get that back from you by Wednesday or Thursday so there will be a very quick turnaround time on this initial draft and, and still
0: that's a draft and actually. it is
2: a draft and you will have uh, until January seventh to uh, or the alternative date that we ultimately select for that first meeting in
0: January to uh, complete the, the narrative for the supplemental report number two. Okay, now the resolution says that the committee sunsets on the earliest of when we submit our report or January 26th. So there is one week in there that we have as a buffer. So, anyway, John?
7: Uh, just one final thing on
0: sunset. Uh, are we going to be talking about that next
7: time? Because I would like to do something a little bit different than what I did last time. I've had a change of heart on that, so I can express that next time I guess we're together. Does that work?
2: We are anticipating uh, an agenda that would include a um, an agenda item dedicated to that discussion. Okay.
0: Okay. Anything else? <laughs> yeah. That was uh, a... <laughs> That was a teaser, John. I don't want
7: to tease anymore because Mark or Matt will say something to me. But um, I've rethought whether or not uh, we ought to let the sunset occur or not. And I've come to the conclusion I think it ought to be allowed to sunset. If the council wants to reestablish this or or reconstitute it in some fashion, then that would be the appropriate way to go, which is not what I said a week ago. I said precisely the opposite. Yeah.
0: We have a – I think a pretty substantial majority are in that group that, that Chris and I agreed started off with and Grant one. was
7: trying to make the, the whole issue easier by making that story.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Public comments Jim, Ann, Rick, nobody. Okay. Um, committee ideas or questions? Announcements? Okay. Um, Movement to adjourn. Motion to adjourn, please. Okay. All in favor? Thank you.